Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Phil Merson. So you were talking about sharing your podcast with one person and how that can be meaningful for that one person and it helps you and it helps them. We challenge people to do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. And our staff, that's kind of their mindset is look for someone that you can make their day today. If all of us, all 100 of us are making somebody's day, it's gonna have a snowball effect on the event. As we make things meaningful for them, we get to know what their story is. We find out what's gonna be valuable to them. We can change the event. Hi there, and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing your expertise, intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're a regular listener, then consider sharing this show with just one person, as it's the very best way you can help the show grow and help me reach more people. And if you are watching on YouTube, hi. Take a moment to consider how wonderful you are and then hit the subscribe button and give the show a like and also ask any questions in the comments that come up while you're watching. And also stick around for a while because the algorithm likes you to stick around for a while. Don't just hit play and then disappear. So this week, I am very pleased to welcome back somebody who's been on the show before, but he's done something amazing. He's written a book. And whenever I have a friend or a colleague or a contact that's written a book, I like to know about it. This week, we are speaking about how to be unforgettable and more importantly, create unforgettable experiences. Phil Marshawn, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bob, it's great to be back on the show. So before I start getting run away with myself, I have a lot of questions about your book. For the listener who's meeting you for the first time, can you maybe just start telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a creative I actually, though, have an economics degree, so I'm an odd mixture of analytics and creativity. I'm a musician, a jazz saxophone in specific, Um, was a longtime church worship leader for 25 to 30 years, but have been in the event planning and designing and strategy space for the last 13 years by job title, but by job function, I've been doing it almost my entire career. I live in Wichita, Kansas, got Married for 28 years, have three adult children and a therapy standard poodle. So in my industry, a lot of people know your name and they know your name because you are one of the key people in probably the preeminent event in the digital marketing, social media space worldwide, social media marketing world run by Social Media Examiner, your employer. How much of I guess, how much of your time does that actually occupy that particular role? We're thinking about the conference all year long during the six months leading up to it is pretty much the only thing that I think about. Um, but we're, we're constantly dreaming and innovating and thinking about how do we do things better, different for next year to you know, meet certain goals. So already beginning that process this month as we're talking and when you release this, we'll probably have already started promoting the conference more aggressively. So I don't know. I don't know if I've told you this before, but when I first decided to pivot my business into the online space, which is probably going back six, seven years, I would hear people talking about social media marketing world as the place where everything changed. 
Mm. And I heard this again and again and again. And it was very clear to me there was something happening in that conference that didn't happen other places. And that's why for me, it was such an important landmark to get there. As somebody who's been key to making that happen, I have to ask, before we get into the book, how intentional that was, because for many people, it wasn't just a memorable experience. It was the memorable experience. So can I say that I predictably made the experience memorable for you, Bob Gentle? No, I can't. But what I can say is I created the conditions where that was very likely to happen. And I think we learned, you know, the first year we did it, none of us who were on the planning team had ever put on an event for a thousand plus people including the event management company we worked with. So we were learning, you know, we were building it as the plane flew, so to speak, <laughs> with Indiana Jones coming out uh, this year, a new release. Uh, it's a it's a apt metaphor. But as we saw what was working, we knew there were some things that were really important. And those were, if we had the right content, which would bring the right people who had a mindset of serving the community. So you want people who aren't just there to drop their knowledge bombs and and jet, you know, five minutes later. We've had a few of those, but in general, we we see speakers who want to be part of the community. Secondly, we focused a lot on networking and not in the traditional business event networking where people are trading cards and looking for leads. That does happen. And of course, that's a goal for some people, but more about creating connections and relationships. And so creating a culture for that, um, which necessitated that we created a culture of service. And so, you know, early on, we learned that we couldn't do it by ourselves. We were a small team. You know, back then we only had a handful of us that were putting on the event. Even now we're, we're still a small company. We have to bring in a lot of extra people to put on the event between temporary staff and volunteers who put on the event. So that was really important to us. And then part of that culture was fun. So if you look at our website, it still says to this day, discovery, networking, and fun. We had those as pillars of our existence from the very beginning. Over time, we also set it as a goal. We wanted people to walk away saying best conference ever. And we were hearing those words. It got my attention to say, well, what are we doing that everybody else isn't? So that's, that was, in, I know you want to talk about the book, but that's what caught my attention to say, I need to codify what we're doing because yeah. there is something here that's different from other events and some of it may be repeatable. Some of it may be unique to the industry that we're in, the people that we're gathering. And I think there's truth in that. Like social media marketers are a different breed than if you went to an aeronautical engineering conference or a widget making conference, right? So the vibe is going to be different by nature. It has to be. Um, those are different people with different goals in mind. Like I had a guy yesterday who was moving some construction equipment down the street and he was not very good at communicating and he was pretty upset with me that I didn't move my vehicle fast enough for him. Um, and he let that be known. I was like, okay, but words would have helped that what you wanted me to do. <laughs> so, so I think we do have something special because of things that we've been doing repeatedly over time and it's gathered a community that helps reinforce it. So I think that's what you experienced when you came for the first time is there's not just the staff, but there's a community here who cares and they treat this as part of their family. And they let us know when we're doing something they don't like, you know, like, oh, you guys kind of went off the rails with this, you know, and we listen. And so we've built more than an event. We built a community, I'd say, is is a lot of what, what's happened. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think if if you're listening, 
look for somebody you know that's been to the conference and ask them about it and they'll they'll kind of explain the whole vibe and why for me it's such a high impact place to be now you mentioned codifying what was working and obviously we're coming into the book now and the reason i really wanted to get you on and speak about this is nobody wants to be forgettable being unforgettable anybody that's in the social media marketing space Yes, we're all in social media marketing in order to cut through the noise. A lot of people don't achieve that. Anybody that's putting on an event, which I think is your core focus in the book, nobody wants a ho-hum event. So I'm curious to know from your experience, number one, how have you codified that? So if somebody's looking for a book, why would they pick up yours? And then maybe look at a few ways we can apply this to different kinds of events and maybe in some other use cases as well. But what's the basic framework that you came up with when you were putting the book together? There's kind of two different sections of the book in my mind, the way I looked at it. You know, the title is Unforgettable, the Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. So the first section of the book is looking at the art and science of how do we create things that are memorable, meaningful, and momentous. Um, so that's kind of the first section. And that's how I just define unforgettable is that it is memorable, something that's going to stand the test of time. It's going to be sticky um, in your brain. It's not hard to conjure it up. And, you know, there's this, I wish I had this stat when I wrote the book, I, I wish I knew who to credit to, but there's this German psychologist named Ebbinghaus. And in the 19th century, he created the forgetting curve. You look like you might be familiar with it. He was studying educational retention, how long do people retain information that they've learned without any kind of intentional reinforcement? And what he discovered is within one hour, we've already forgotten 50% of what we've learned. And within a day, it's 70%. And within a week, it's 75%. And within a month, it's up to 90%. And that as an event organizer scared me. It's like that as an event organizer, you don't want people to only remember 10% because what if it's the wrong 10%, you know, what if it's just the parties or what if it's the bad things that happened, you know, and not the good things. So we want things to be memorable. That's one part of it, but it needs to also be more than memorable. It needs to be personally meaningful. So you were talking about sharing your podcast with one person and how that can be meaningful for that one person. And it helps you and it helps them. And we, we challenge people to do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. And our staff, that's kind of their mindset is look for someone that you can make their day today. And if you if all of us, all 100 of us are making somebody's day, it's going to have a snowball effect on the event as we make things meaningful for them. We get to know what their story is. We find out what's going to be valuable to them. We can change the event. And then the last thing is momentous. And I lean some on the work of Chip and Stan Heath in their book, The Power of Moments. I kind of went a different direction than they did, but definitely lean on some of their research. So highly recommend your listeners get that book too. It's uh, theirs is rooted in a lot of um, academia, but also a lot more stories. They had the resources to do a lot of interviews that I didn't have the resources to do. So I think it's really helpful. And they're looking at all kinds of moments that are created in life, not just at events. So mine's very much focused on experiences primarily within events, but the principles apply to a broad range. So that's the first section of the book. The second section is taking the analogy of baking a loaf of bread. 
So if you think about baking bread, there's only four ingredients. It's flour, it's water, it's salt, and it's yeast. And you could take the yeast out if you wanted to, if you're making unleavened bread, but let's say it's regular bread. Now you typically have more than those ingredients, but those are the essential ingredients that you need to bake bread. And with those ingredients, you can make all kinds of different types of bread for different applications and uses. You can make dinner rolls, you can make regular sandwich bread, you can make artisanal loaves of bread, et cetera, et cetera. It's all with understanding what is the end user looking for? What kind of taste profile do they have? You know, are there allergies involved, et cetera? And so it's the details and the skill of the baker that predicts the outcome of that loaf of bread. That same analogy works with events. You could, you could tell an 18 year old to go put on an event and they could, because there's only a few basic ingredients involved. And I, that's what I break down in the book is those basic ingredients, but then it's how you knit those things together with intention for the customer that you're serving and creating that sense of journey, that journey. They, they have a starting place and they have an ending place. And then there's, there's moments in between there that we need to pay attention to that will create a significant experience that's going to be memorable meaningful and momentous. Listening to that, it really leaps out at me how this can be applied, not just to events, but to uh, courses, to communities, to content, to a brand in its entirety, really. There's so many places that you can go with that. I'm going to ask you what some might call the daft laddie question. You've, you mentioned the ingredients of an event. It's very easy to make assumptions there. So from your perspective, what are the, the various ingredients? And I think from there, people can probably use their imagination to work out how people might play with these different ingredients to create the different kinds of event. But yeah. I think a lot of people make assumptions about what goes into an event. Sure. And you know, we could debate these exact ingredients. I was getting clever using the the C anagram, I guess that's not the word, but anyway, mnemonic. using the letter C. Mnemonic. Thank you. <laughs> I'm good for something. Um, so started, starts with content. And that's where what you just said is so true. It, it starts with content for a learning event. Now, if you're creating a different kind of event, content may not be the first ingredient that you pay attention to, but for a learning event, people are paying for and coming for the content. So you've got to get that dialed in. Um, a second ingredient is going to be the connections. So I look at that as the same as yeast. So I literally did this recently. Um, I was demonstrating on stage how this works. And I, I asked someone in the audience who's a baker and I said, okay, what would happen if I put the yeast into the, the dough here, but I didn't really stir it? She said, well, it wouldn't be activated. So I said, well, what if I just stirred it a little bit, but didn't spread it throughout the whole loaf? She said, well, only one part of the loaf would rise. In so many events, that's what happens. There are some people who feel connected, who make great connections at the event, and it's almost like a click, right? Yeah. So great connection spreads throughout the event. So that's another ingredient. So good content, um, great connection, having the right crew. So this isn't an ingredient, but it is an important element. So, you know, chefs, bakers will go to bakers who don't have the skill, you know, so a beginning baker cannot make artisanal loaves of bread. It usually takes eight to 10 years to learn some of the skills that are needed to make those kinds of loaves of bread. And sometimes those bakers are experimenting for up to a year 
to get it just right for the application that they're trying to create. You've got to have knowledge of how all these different ingredients fit together. You have to understand how ovens affect it, you know, how the the climate that you're in affects it. So we'll talk about oven in just a minute. Um, but the crew is super important. You know, are they well-trained? Do they have the right disposition? You know, some events want staff to be just present and helpful and friendly, but not in your face. Others want them to be very boisterous and engaged. One's not right or wrong. It's what is the experience that you're trying to create? Yeah. Context is my oven. So context is, you know, the building that you're in and how are you using that building? Sometimes events don't have any control of what building they're in. Um, they, it's already decided for them. And there's certain things about a building that are givens that you can't, you can't just tear the walls down, but a lot of times you're given a blank slate. And so you're allowed to use all kinds of different props and colors and aromas and sorts of things that create another place that people are coming and they feel like they've left behind the office and home to come to this new place where they can experience what they've come to experience. And that context affects how everything happens. You know, if you've been into buildings that are very bland where they've done nothing, you know, there's no graphics, there's no artwork, there's no lighting. It feels very drab. Sometimes that's just fine. Maybe that's exactly what you wanted because you don't want people distracted by any of those things. But generally speaking, that can actually have a, a negative effect. Um, so those are the first three spices, like, you know, the salt of bread is spices. And that's, that's all kinds of extra stuff that you're thinking about. And that could be the food that could be, you know, aromas that could be all those kinds of things. Those are the basic ones. I, I think I'm missing a couple, but I always put it in the context of the, the customer journey, knowing who that customer is, what they've come to expect, where they're starting, you know, what, when they show up at the event, what are they feeling like? Are they worn out? Have they, you know, if it's a woman as she just left, you know, kids at home and she's concerned that the in-laws aren't taking care of them or whatever, or something happened at work or Johnny, I just found out that Johnny broke his arm and now I'm divided. So we've got to take all that into account when they arrive and help them feel comfortable that they're in the right place and that they're safe, they're protected. So that's a, actually a huge part of it is creating that, those kind of conditions where they can lean in and feel comfortable and safe, where they can participate and to the degree possible, you know, not be concerned about what's happening back at home. Certainly, I think from what you described there, social media marketing world, once you're in there, it does kind of have this otherworldly, slightly elevated feel, vibe to it. You, you have mm -hmm. stepped out of the ordinary world into a slightly magical world that absolutely comes across. And I can see how you structured that from the way that you build out those different ingredients. So events are on my mind. If, if I was calling you up and saying, hey, Phil, I'm thinking about putting on a very small event. What advice would you give me or anybody else that's listening to how we could apply those events in a small, intimate, micro conference? So maybe just one day, a couple of speakers. We don't want to spend any money if possible. How would you, how would Phil approach this? I think it starts with what is that journey? You know, who is the person coming in the room? Where are they starting and where do you hope they'll end up by the end? And then there is a third thing that I 
forgot to mention that's in the book. And that is like, what are your threats to success? And knowing what are those things that you need to dismantle and overcome so that the experience that you're creating will, you know, will actually happen. And so I'd look at those, say, what's, what could derail this experience that we're creating? Then it's going to start with, well, how do I bring them in and help them feel safe? And then how am I going to create a journey where they have discoveries along the way? And if it's a group of 10 or 12 people and we're just doing it in a conference room somewhere for a half day or a day, it looks very different than if you're doing it for a hundred or a thousand or 5,000 people. But there are some similarities. The journey is there every step of the way. What is the content that they need? What are the conversations they need to have? So I lump that in with connections, but that is another ingredient is conversations. So especially in a small group like that, I think learning takes place in conversation just as much as it does in a speaker delivering things. And that could be internal conversations that I need to have with myself. That could be external conversations that's happening, having with the group where we are discovering things together that we hadn't ever discovered or experimented with before. So I think I'm structuring the day in a way that's going to achieve the goals and maybe have some elements of surprise. So I think one of the things that makes something memorable is the unexpected. Yeah. When you come in, you're expecting is like, okay, we're going to sit for eight hours today and we're going to listen to someone talk and we're going to do some exercises. Well, what if that's not what it was? You know, what if we sat and talked for a couple hours and then we brought out some Play-Doh? And what if in the afternoon, instead of eating lunch, we, you know, we went down and had street tacos and went to a food truck, or we did something that's just totally disruptive to the expectations. It creates a memory, but it actually enhances because you're giving space to think about stuff. And a lot of times people start connecting dots when they're outside of the context where they've been introduced to something. So I would, I would look at how do we bring in some of the unexpected, you know, and how do we bring them to a point where they're in a better place by the end of the day than they were at the beginning of the day as it relates to the journey and and be ready for the also the unexpected discoveries that are made along the day. You can stir up stuff that you know might be hard. Um, are you ready for that? Yeah, is there a safe place for that? You know, in a small group, it becomes more obvious than in a large group when someone's like triggered by something. So I'd be I'd be helping to think through, you know, what, what are the likely journeys? Small group, I want to know about every person coming in the room. Now, I want to cultivate this experience for that group of people. If there's a group of people that I don't know, then now I'm looking at avatars and creating experiences for avatars. But the more I get to know specific people, the more personalized I can make it. So one of the things you mentioned a moment ago was threats. And in the book, you talk about the five threats. So obviously, as well as codifying what can make things successful, you've also codified the danger points. And I think it's probably worth spending a moment there looking at where can things most most often fall apart? So from your perspective, what are the, the key areas of potential failure? Yeah, and these are specific to events. It may look different if it's your website or, you know, a store or something like that. Um, I haven't taken time to think about would I change any of these in those contexts? But it forms the word dried, D-R-I-E-D, dull. So it's boring. (laughs) Let me define boring like this for you, Bob. I think boring is forgettable. Boring isn't just, it's going to put you to sleep. Boring isn't, or, you know, dull isn't, it's going to make you leave and say that was terrible. 
dull is you're not going to remember it and it makes no difference in your life. And I'd say 80% of experiences are like that. 10% are so terrible that you're going to talk about it and complain about it. And you'll always remember it because, oh, I'll never forget the day when, you know, that person stepped on my toe or, you know, whatever bad thing happened. And 10% are also unforgettably good. Like, okay, I, I remember the day when I went, met my wife. I remember the day when this happened or that happened. You know, first time you went to social media marketing world is what you said. It could be something else. So dull is that in between 80% or more that is just flat out forgettable. We've got to overcome that. And we do that by making it transformational. We make it personally meaningful and transformational. That's the way you overcome that. R in the threats is resistance. So that's the, that's the person who's come in and they already have formed an opinion about you. They've formed an opinion about your company. They've formed an opinion about your brand, about your event. And they are already kind of on the edge wondering, am I going to stay? You know, I see someone with their arms folded and they're saying to themselves, okay, I had a bad customer experience or my friend had a bad experience here. I'm coming because someone told me I have to, or I'm coming because the boss made me come. That's like the worst. Someone is being forced to do something. Boss said, read this book. Boss said, go to this event. I'm here. I'm resistant. We've got to overcome that, right? And we've got to move them from a point of resistance to feeling safe feeling seen to there being potential hope and eventually to a place of acceptance. Like, Oh man, there's so much here. That's good. I had it all wrong. They let go of their resistance. The eye of the dried is isolation. That's the person who's sitting against the wall and they're on their phone and they're not engaging with anyone. And they're not sure they're going to, because in, in their head, they've said, there's no one here like me. So I've got to help that person feel together. Like they, they can find at least one person, but usually a group of people that, okay, I found my tribe. Mm. Now I feel like I belong because I found my people. They don't have to feel like every person in the 2000 people at an event are their tribe. They need a friend and maybe a small group of people that they can go to meals with. So if we, we help them feel connected and together, and then the E is exhausted. And so, so many events do this and not necessarily by design, even where people are getting up early, having early morning meetings, doing all the things they're, they're not wanting to miss anything. They get to the end of the day and they keep on going until two in the morning. And they do that for three days and they're just flat out exhausted by the end. And they can't be changed because they're just barely keeping their eyes open. I saw this happen at an event recently where the last day, um, some of the speakers were showing up and they needed toothpicks because they were just so tired and you could see it on their faces. That could be by design. You know, the, an event does that. Sometimes people make choices, but there's a different kind of exhaustion too. And that's just, there's so much going on that you feel overwhelmed and you want to do it all and you can't. So yeah. we overcome that you know, by just trying to keep people stimulated, but also trying to simplify you want to simplify the experience so that people know what are the essential things you have to do and that there's permission. You don't have to do all the things. It's actually okay not to do all the things. And someone else might be able to, you don't have to. And the final letter is D for distraction. So social media is a huge distraction if people are at an event, but it could also be you're sitting in a room. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at you, Bob, and I'm seeing cars go by in your window outside. That could distract me and pull me away. And so in an event, there's always stuff happening. 
that is pulling our attention away and preventing us from entering fully into the community. So we want to solve that by keeping things energized and allowing people to remain focused. Listening to that, especially the exhaustion, the distraction, providing a framework that's simple is so important because if you can't keep something in your head, it's inherently exhausting because you're constantly having to think and remember the structure of an event, where you should be next. One of the things that you do very well is it's very clear what's available, what's relevant. It's very easy to plan ahead. So for example, something like that big planner that you give away, you could easily not give that big planner away. It'd be very cost- it would save you a lot of money. But for me, from my experience, it takes away my requirements to hold things in my head. Even the app is good, but it takes away a lot of mental friction, which is yeah. doing exactly what you said. It's, it's allowing me to retain my mental energy for the things that matter. So, yeah, I can see what you're doing there. You raise a good point. So that's a great example of knowing your audience and knowing that not everybody does things the way that you do it. So some people prefer an app. Some people prefer that written out planner that you talked about. Other people want us to give them a spreadsheet long before the event where we've laid all the sessions out where they can do their planning and create their own version of what they need. So knowing your audience, and we've learned over time what people ask for, and we've learned the hard way of not assuming that everybody's like us. You know, I think as a planner or organizer or business owner, one of our biggest mistakes is assuming that our customers do things the way that we do them. And so watch what they do, use data to watch what they do, but also ask them and adapt. So just wanted to highlight that. When people write books, they usually do it because they're looking to do something new. They're looking for a change. And I'm not saying you're necessarily looking for something new, but obviously you want this book to have an impact and it's going to drive some kind of opportunity for you. So I'm curious to know, what was your goal for the book and what would you like it to do in your life? It started out as a proving that I can. So, you know, I grew up believing that I wasn't a writer. And then it was in grad school where one of my professors said, Phil, someday you're going to write three or four or more books. And I couldn't believe him. But then when the bug finally hit of what I should write about, it's like, okay, I've got to do this just for myself. And like I said earlier, to codify, it helps me to teach others if I've codified what I think. So that it started there. But I do think as I've gone along, it stuck out to me that there's a lot of events that could be more impactful if they could learn from some of the things that I've learned. And so, you know, I feel like I'm on a mission to stamp out boring events. I don't know what that ultimately is going to look like in terms of a career as much as, you know, I want to get the book out to as many people as it will serve. Um, I love speaking. And beyond that, you know, opportunities are going to emerge that make sense. So it definitely started as just a desire to codify my thinking and prove that I could do it. But now I've got something that's a lot bigger than I thought it would be when I started (laughs) and people are giving me great feedback. And so I'm waiting to see, you know, what it accomplishes in the world and kind of follow that stream. So you have a fairly big profile, especially around the social media marketing world, but also wider than that. A lot of people know that this book is coming, probably more than know about the average book. Has that led to any rumblings of opportunity? People saying, 
I didn't know you were doing that, Phil. I think we need to talk. Has that started happening yet? I'm getting introduced to people who, you know, I'm being told, hey, you need to serve this this community or that community. You know, I had I had a group reach out to me and ask me to give a keynote presentation for them when they saw that I had a book coming out. So I think more of those will come with time, but not I wouldn't say like earth shattering rumblings yet. That we're, you know, we're, we're in the early days. So one of the things that I always ask people who are writing books is what I would call the backhand question. I remember speaking to Mike Michalowicz from Profit First, Pumpkin Plan, all that stuff. And I asked him, at what stage is he planning the backend business model of a new book? And he said, the first time he wrote a book, he didn't really give any thought to the backend of what would happen if this book was successful, how it was going to impact his business. But every book that he subsequently wrote, at the point of writing the book, he was thinking how he was going to monetize it. And I'm wondering how much thought you gave to that. And I know that's not your personality, but I am curious to know how much consideration you gave to how much clarity you give in the book to how people can engage with you. Mm -hmm. I think the clarity that I had when I wrote the book is I was looking for opportunities to speak. And so that's in there, the opportunities for coaching and consulting and things like that are much more limited because I do have a day job mm. and didn't write this as a way to start something new as much as just supplement and, you know, continue to make an impact. I love what I do during the day. So I'm not trying to change that. So that I had some thoughts, but it also just depends on what people are interested in as they do it. I'll probably create a course at some point but I know that courses are maybe not the best use of my time. So we'll see. <laughs> well, also coming back to that forgetting curve. And I think for me, this is something, and I think this is why a lot of people need to pay attention to this book, not just from the events perspective, but from every perspective where you have touch points with people who need value from you. Courses, as you mentioned, we will have forgotten 70% by the end of day two. Yep. So why would we ever design courses? knowing the, the way that we do, knowing that 70% is going to be lost. So that initially begs the question, we need to implement the kind of practices and processes and frameworks you've described into these valuable knowledge exchanges. How can we build in all of these different ingredients, connection, content, context, all of these things come into making sure people get value from it because if people aren't going to get value from what we do, there's no point, whether that's an event, a training course, or even a social media post. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time working out how can I apply this framework much more broadly than just events. I think it needs to become part and parcel with everything we do. I think you've done a fantastic job with the book, and I can't wait to be sharing it with people. I think that's a really great point that no matter what we do, let's do it in a way that it's going to make a long-term impact and not just create a short-term, I, I call it a titillation, <laughs> you know, getting people excited and curious, but they make no intentions to change. And I think the reason 70% for, of what they've learned is forgotten is because there's not intentional reinforcement and we haven't made it something that's going to stick in their brain. It's just a, a dump of information. And so if it's a dump, then it's just going to wash off of us like water on a duck 
and not stick around. So I think the way we create the, the content to be sticky for them, but also providing opportunities for reinforcement after the fact, you know, those, those numbers go way up as people start to rehearse. I used to train people that went on trips around the country and around the world. And one of the things I would ask them to do when they got back, and I even, I've even seen an event a facilitator do the same thing. I'd say at the end of it, I want you to make a list of the top memories that you have from what you just experienced. And then I want you to write a story about the top three. And I want you to practice telling that story to someone here, because when you go back home, people are going to ask you, how was your trip to Italy? Or how was your trip traveling around the Midwest? Or how was this? How was the conference you just went to? If we help people create a narrative of the things that stand out, you don't need more than one, two or three things out of an experience to transform you you stick with those things. And I think that right there is just a, a really great practice for all of us when we go somewhere to take a few minutes or a few hours and write down, okay, what are the things that I'm going to take from this that I know I can go implement? And I'm not going to worry about the rest. I can't, I can't do everything, but if I change this one thing, I know you're going to ask me about my one thing here in a minute, but <laughs> um, so. I, I think also we've spoken about the macro with the event but taking it right down to the micro with the social media post. I see so many people's social media posts that are really geared towards trying to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm. Whereas what you're describing here, creating that moment, really invest of yourself to create that moment for one person. Mm. And if you can do that, then that content's going to have power. It's going to resonate throughout the rest of somebody's day. And that's what it's all for. It's, it's, it is an event, but it's, it's a tiny yeah. little instance. You're creating a moment, uh, yeah. maybe not, an event, but you're creating a moment for someone where you see them, they feel seen. And it could be the fact that you respond to what they say to the thing that you said. And they say, Oh, Bob gets me. Yeah. And yeah, I love it. And then the compound effect of that over yes. six months, a year, yes, four or five years, that's what builds tribe. And I think that's one of the things that really stands out in the social media marketing world is it's home for a lot of people. There's, there is mm-hmm. the central point around which their professional social life orbits. Yep. Phil, I've had great fun. You've been very generous with your time. I can't wait to get the book in my hands, like I said, and start sharing it with people. If people want to buy it, it's on Amazon. If you're listening in the UK, check after lunchtime. I don't know what time you're pulling the trigger on Amazon, but it is today. If you're listening on the day that this episode comes out, what time are you pulling the trigger? Do you know yet? Um, I think that's up to Amazon. It will be available probably days before the official release date. So it's, uh, All right. if you're listening to this, it's already available. You'll be able to order it and you know, going into a bookstore might look differently, but if you're ordering it online, you'll be able to order it as you hear this. Unforgettable, the art and science of creating memorable experiences. Filmer Sean, what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? Breathwork. Oh. Let me explain. So I'm a musician. I've been doing breathwork in a certain way my entire life. But in 2018, my diaphragm paralyzed. My, my right lung collapsed and my diaphragm paralyzed 
and wasn't able to take in air. I'd lost nearly half of the capacity in that lung. And I was told I was gonna have to live with that the rest of my life. I found some alternative therapies through chiropractic and massage therapy that released it. But then over the last year, I was also, in addition to that, dealing with some neck and shoulder issues. And as part of the recovery from that, I just implemented doing deep breathing because I'm required to do stretches where I have to hold it for 30 seconds. Like, well, I might as well work on my breathing while I'm holding these stretches. So after eight months of doing that, I talked to an Irish vocal coach that I've worked with over the last several years. And she listened to me playing my horn. And she said, Phil, your breathing has changed dramatically. And I said, it has? She said, yes. What have you been doing? And I realized I've been doing breath work. And breath work is like a new fad and there are people building businesses around it, but it's not really. It's just intentional deep breathing where we're taking in air, holding it and breathing it out for long periods of time. And it has an effect on the brain. It energizes us. It promotes healing through the entire body. And so I would say breath work would be the one thing I would tell you. And have you been following any particular process or framework for that? You know, the Navy uses a four by four. The U.S. Navy uses four by four, four seconds in, four seconds hold, four seconds out, four seconds delay before you breathe in again. I find that hard. So instead, I'm doing it in series of either four or eight seconds. I breathe in for four, hold it for eight, breathe out for 12. That's the one I do the most frequently. But, you know, I mix it up and... Mm. I've been part of some classes where they have you do it for a lot longer and, you know, they do some things that are a little bit crazy and do get you into almost a hypnotic state. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'm more just a fan of stuff that's going to help me relax and be focused in the day. So that's very, I'm going to go look at that. It's very intriguing. Phil, if people want to connect with you, if they want to hang out with you online, what's your favorite place for them to go? Probably either Facebook or LinkedIn. And they can also go to filmershawn.com to get more information about all these things. Bill, thank you so much for your time. You have been great fun. Johan, for listening, thank you for joining me today as well. And yeah, while you have the device in your hand and you're just thinking what to do next, subscribe. And if you're on YouTube and you're still here, the algorithm is going to be so happy with you. Nothing like a bit of retention for the algorithm. So thanks for that. Also, like and subscribe before you go. And yeah, thank you very much. See you next time.